This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Great. If we can return to our seats, and as you do, open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that and turn to page 305, and you'll be able to track with us. Today, we're going to kind of be camping in one particular passage in Proverbs uh, chapter 3. So uh, what we've been doing, we're kind of coming to the end of a series called Proverbs for the Home. And so the first message we addressed, husbands, and then we had a message for wives, and then we had a message for married couples. Last week, we had a message for parents, and this week, we're having a message geared towards children, which is one reason we kept the older kids from children's ministry in, uh, in with us. Uh, if you're in fourth or fifth grade, glad to have you. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one as well and turn to page 305 uh, as well. So the, the focus of the message today will be geared towards those, not exclusively, but will be geared towards those who are, I guess I'd phrase it this way, living under your parents' authority. That is, you're not living on your own. And I know there's a huge difference between a fourth grader and a young adult, a college student. I know that's a huge range uh, of how you would respond to your parents, but the principles are similar. And and I want to go beyond that and say, in principle, there's something for all of us here. Uh, if, if uh, If you have living parents there is something for you as well. I don't care what your age is. The Bible says we are to honor our father and mother. So there is a calling for all of us to relate to our parents and to receive from their wisdom. And if you don't have living parents, then perhaps God is calling you to still be a dispenser of wisdom to other. I'm going to push younger people to you in part of this sermon. So there's still a place for you to be one who seeks to pass on wisdom to your children or to others as well. So uh, the reality is we all need wisdom. And this past, this whole book is about pursuing pa- wisdom. And this passage in particular, we're going to talk about pursuing wisdom. And though I'm going to make many applications to younger people, it'll be relevant for all of us, I trust. So here we go. Proverbs 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth that it, that it is for us. And we pray that you would grant us the precious gift of illumination today, that lights would go off, the light bulb would go off in our hearts and minds, especially for the younger ones in our midst. 
Lord, I pray that you would do a shepherding work today, that you would be protecting us, guarding us, and leading us all in your way. Protect us from the pathway to destruction and guide us on the pathway to life, we pray today. And show us the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through this passage, we pray. Lord, give me strength and clarity uh, to be able to communicate your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't been with us, let me just review. The book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Uh, It is a book about pursuing wisdom. It is a book about desiring wisdom. It is a book about finding wisdom and holding on to it and living by it. And here's the interesting thing. Many of the passages in the book of Proverbs are framed like the one we just read. That is, they are a father communicating to his son wisdom. They or his sons. Uh, And this is obviously equally applicable for a mom passing on truth. It's equally applicable applicable for a daughter receiving truth. But the the, the original context of the writing in in these Proverbs, these first ones are Proverbs of Solomon, are him passing this on to his children. And so he is, there is this, this burden, this heart at times, and I think we see it here, even this pleading with young, the younger ones to listen to wisdom so that you avoid the pathway of destruction. It is a call to the pathway of life and an avoiding of the pathway of destruction. And so if you are young, uh, here's a couple of things I want to point out from this passage. Actually, it applies to all of us, but particularly if you are younger and you are here today. Here's the first point from this passage. You need wisdom. You don't have wisdom. You don't have wisdom. The, 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 the book of Proverbs is constantly crying out to the young, you need wisdom. On the next page, or maybe it's the same page, chapter 4, he says in chapter 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. He says, here's the beginning point of wisdom, get it. The implication is you don't have it. And I am not trying to be rude to you. You may be smart. You may have all A's in school. You may have gotten a scholarship at your in college and, and you may be brilliant. But that doesn't mean that you have wisdom. None of us are born with wisdom. And the wisest person in the room today is the person who says, I lack wisdom and need it. That's the wise person. The person who thinks they have it is disqualified from having it because the Bible says that we need to look to him to wisdom. If any of us lack wisdom, James uh, writes, we can come to him and he gives generously. The, the, the implication is that we all need wisdom in various parts of our lives. None of us are born with it. Now I have two grandsons. My youngest is one. He just turned one year old, one year old, and he's, he's extremely cute, but he has no wisdom. No one year old has wisdom. He's smart for his age. He's smart, but he's not wise. So he's at our house and he's fascinated by the lamp, but it's not just the lamp. It's the plug he wants to touch. So this last week he's crawling over and he's just wanting to reach out and play with the plug and what's behind the plug. I said, this would be a good lesson. No, I didn't. I said, no, I did not. I'm a loving grandfather. I pulled him away. No, no, Will, that's danger. Don't play with it. Why? He doesn't know. He lacks wisdom. 
he actually took the cord and started wrapping himself up in it because, you know, if electrocution's not an option, I don't know. <laughs> Just rabbit strangling, I don't know. But anyway, so no, don't wrap yourself. Don't put the cord around you either. Because young people were born without wisdom. And the primary reason God gave you, or a primary reason God gave you parents is because you weren't born wise. That's why the father here is saying, verse one, don't forget my teaching. He's not saying, you know, don't let it slip your mind. Like, I don't know, where's my backpack? I don't know where, where did I leave it? He's not talking about that kind of thing. When remembering is to obey in the Bible. So when he says, you know, do not forget, he's saying, remember what I'm passing on to you to do it. And when he says, don't forget my teaching, he's not just talking about like what the household rules are uh, or something like that. He's talking about God's word. The word teaching here is the word Torah. It's a word that's used to describe the law in the Old Testament. It's God's word. So he's saying, don't forget my teaching of God's word. Remember what I'm telling you, what I'm hopefully modeling for you, what I'm instructing for you about God and who he is. And then he does this amazing thing. He takes it another level. Look at the second part of the verse. Do not forget my teaching, but rather obey it. Let your heart keep my commandments. So he's taking it another level. He's saying, don't just understand the truth about God, but, but be changed by it. Your heart is your inner person. So he's saying, obey from your heart. He's saying, I want you to be changed from the inside. And this is why obedience from the heart to God, obedience to God from the heart is so important because what he is saying is, I don't want you to follow God just because I say to, or because the church says to, but because you want to. The goal is not that you would just follow God because that's the tradition you were raised in that will not sustain you. That's the church you were raised in that will not sustain you. Rather, he says, I want you to desire, obey from the heart. I want you to desire to know God, to desire to follow God. And that can be a real challenge for church kids or young adults who grew up in church. Because that's, I did. I grew up in church. I love church kids. I was one, uh, raised some. Uh, I, I, I love church kids. But here's the challenge. If you grow up hearing about Christ, if you grow up learning the scripture, the challenge is this, that you sort of learn how to maintain and keep the rules, the expected rules, especially when adults are around. You learn how to sort of keep the rules. You you learn what the culture that you're being raised in expects and accepts and disapproves of, and some flat out rebel towards that, but many others seek to sort of, seek to kind of accommodate, to sort of live in that culture, to sort of not rock the boat. But the truth is, while you might not be getting in terrible trouble all the time, it's, it's not in your heart. It's not who you are. It's not what you really, Christ is not the one you really want to live for. You've got the externals. You know what's expected. But here it says, let your heart keep my commandments. For a lot of young people in the church, Christianity is sort of like, it's sort of like a flu shot. 
sort of like a flu shot. That's a polarizing topic, I know, okay? Some are going to condemn you because you didn't get it and you're going to get sick, and some are going to condemn you because you even thought about it. So I'm not making a statement on flu shots here, okay? Uh, But it's sort of like that. The flu shot gives you an exposure to the flu. It gives you an exposure, but it doesn't take hold. It doesn't take over your whole body. It just gives you an exposure so that your body develops some antibodies to the flu. So that it doesn't take, it doesn't infect you, but rather you are ultimately shielded from it by exposure to it. And that's exactly what happens to a lot of young people. You're exposed to Christianity in small doses, but it never takes in your heart. And what ends up happening is you end up hardening your heart to God. James says it this way, be a hearer of the word and not uh, be a, a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving yourself. So when you're exposed regularly to biblical truth and it doesn't grip your heart and you're gaining knowledge without application, you are developing in deception. You are growing in deception. You, you feel like you're okay and you're not because it's not caught your heart. It's not changed who you are from the inside. And that's your greatest danger. It's a tremendous privilege to be raised in the faith, to be raised in a Christian family, if that's your experience, to be raised in the church. It is a tremendous blessing and privilege, and yet it comes with this risk of being inoculated to the faith. And and some of you don't even know it. You think, because you're keeping some rules, you think that you're following Christ, but he doesn't live inside. It's not what you really want. He's not shaping your desires because you've never never really been converted. You've never had the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you and give you new life. And that is wisdom. Wisdom is trusting God from the heart. Wisdom is saying there's two roads to be on. And I'm tempted to go on the road. I'm regular. I am. All the adults are. We're regularly tempted to go down the road that is foolish. But in our heart of hearts, we really want to go down the road in following the Lord. And we're fighting by God's grace to be on this road. But it's from the heart, and your parents can't pass that on to you. Your parents cannot give you a new heart. Only God can. And so wisdom here, he's saying, listen, I don't forget what I've taught you about the Lord, but may your obedience come from your heart. That comes from seeing your sin before God, seeing your need for a Savior. I'm not just speaking to the young people here now. I'm speaking to all of us. Seeing our need for a savior and believing in him, turning from our sin to follow him, asking him for new life. It's being joined. Being a Christian is being joined to Christ. You're in union with Christ. You're joined to him and he lives in you. The Bible, Jesus says it's like this. It's like a vine that has branches going off off of it. And the vine gives life to the branches and they grow. And Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. It means being connected to him so that his life is growing in you. You're not just embracing evangelical culture, whatever that is, Christian culture, whatever that is, whatever your tradition is. It's not just embracing externals. It's connection to Jesus so that his life is changing you. That's the goal for every one of us in this passage. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Being joined to Christ. It's the miracle 
of the Holy Spirit giving you new life. It's not making you a good kid, a good person, a good young adult. It's the miracle of taking you from death to life spiritually, opening your blind eyes so that you don't see a list of rules, but you see Jesus in his glory and you want to follow him. That's the goal. That's wisdom. And without that, the rest, everything else, everything else in the Bible is just a bunch of stuff to do. Without that, without that, you need a changed heart. When he says, let your heart keep my commandments, you have to have a changed heart to, ha- to obey from your heart. And God has, for the young people, God has given you parents to teach you, to guide you, to warn you, to encourage you, and to lead you to Christ. We do it imperfectly. We do it imperfectly. But that's the goal, is that we're pointing you to him ultimately. And when you follow from a changed heart, verse 2 says, you receive length of days and years of life and peace he will add to you. Now, we talked about this last week. The Proverbs are not promises. It's, this is not a guarantee that you will live a long life if you believe in God and follow him. There are, there are very godly people that, that die young. So it's not a guarantee, but it, it's, an, it's an observation about how God generally works. Here's how God generally works. When you meet him, when he changes your heart, when you begin to obey him from your heart, your life will be going down a pathway that typically uh, it leads to a longer life. For a lot of reasons, you're not doing things that prematurely can take your life. You're avoiding certain things that foolishly can take years off your life. That's one reason. But God just extends your life. And he says, and there is peace that he will add to you. Peace doesn't mean just like not fighting. It's the biblical word shalom. It means flourishing. It means uh, fulfilling, fulfillment. It means, here's what it means. That when you know God and obey him from the heart, you will experience life the way it was designed to be lived. God has a plan for how we lived. He designed life in a certain way. And when you know him and receive new life in Christ, then you experience that kind of flourishing peace in your life. You, you find design and purpose in your life. You find wisdom and Christ is our wisdom. You find him and follow him. So the first point in these first couple of verses is you need wisdom. You need wisdom. The second one is that God gives wisdom. This next phrase is very curious. Verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, faithful by nature would be not forsaking, right? So he says, don't let faithfulness forsake you. Faithfulness means I'm not for, I'm sticking with you. That's faithfulness. So what is he talking about here? Some people say he's telling his son, you have steadfast love for others and you be faithful to others. That's true. For sure, that's true. But this is language that God uses to describe himself in the book of Exodus. God says to his people that he has steadfast love and faithfulness. What he says is, I make a commitment to you that I am for you. I am with you. I'm sticking with you. I will be with you till the end. I am upholding my end of the agreement, even when you won't. And Jesus died because we don't uphold our end of the agreement. We fail God, but God is committed to us. And that's what he's saying. I'll have steadfast love and faithfulness. So what the father is saying is, I believe, take the, who God is. He has, loves you. He's faithful to you. He'll never leave you and bind that around your neck. What does that mean? It means keep it close to you. 
Here's what you should keep close to you. God is faithful to me. God loves me. God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. God is for me. Jesus Christ died and rose for me, and he is expressing his love to me. And he's saying to his son, remember that when you hit especially times in your life where you say, where are you, God? God, do you love me? That's a question everyone faces at some point. You look at your circumstances and say, how could God even love me? He's saying, keep this around your neck, that God loves you. Keep this near your heart. You're all in life going to go down a pathway where the temptation is going to come to say, is God real? Has God forgotten me? Does God care? Some of you are that way, and not young people, all the people, all of us. Some of us are that way today. You're living with, does God even care anymore about me? And this says, keep close to your heart, to your neck rather, keep near you the truth that yes, God loves you, that he died, Jesus died in your place to show his love for you. And not only did he do that to forgive you, but he did that to give you the power to live for him, to follow him. So keep that written on the tablet of your heart. What does that mean? On the inside again, on the inside, you live aware of God's love for you. Listen, the strongest followers of Christ are the ones who are more aware of what Christ has done for them than what they're doing for Christ. The strongest followers of Jesus, the most consistent disciples, the people who have a life full of flourishing and abundance in Christ, even when their circumstances are bad, that person is the one who's most aware of God's love. God's love for him. And that's what the cross and the resurrection tell us, that God is for us and they empower us. He empowers us to walk with him. You not only need the power of God to change your desires, you need the power of God to help you walk with him. We are desperate for this kind of wisdom and help from God. So it goes on to say, if you do that, if you keep the love of God near you, keep it on your heart. He says, verse four, you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Because, why is that? Because you will love others. As you're aware of God's love for you, you're called to love others. You're called to be faithful to others. You're called to, even when they're unfaithful, to remain faithful to them as God has been faithful to you. And what happens when you do that? That brings success in life. That is the definition of success. A, a successful person You cannot judge a successful person by the car they drive, the clothes they wear, the fitness of their body, their attractiveness, their intelligence, their sense of humor, their popularity, the house they live in, how much money they have in the bank. You cannot judge the success of a person that way. A successful person is someone who extends love to others, steadfast, enduring love and faithfulness to other people because they're aware that Christ has extended that to them. That's success. And he says, you'll find favor with God and with others if you're a loving, faithful person. Because why? Because you're living like God. You're living like Christ to others. Lastly, pursue wisdom. So you need wisdom. God gives wisdom. And we're called to pursue wisdom. Verses 5 and 6 and 7. These are some of those popular verses in the whole book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So he's saying, trust God and not yourself. That's wisdom. Trust God and not yourself. I love verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In Eugene Peterson's um, 
paraphrase of this passage in the message, he writes this. Instead of, uh, boy, he, he captured this so well. Instead of be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn from evil, he paraphrases it this way. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. That's brilliant. I've never recommended memorizing a verse out of the message, ever, 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 because it's just helpful paraphrase. That's worth memorizing. <laughs> that is very, very good. Don't assume that you know it all. Isn't that on the job description of a young person to assume that, you know, I did, I did, I knew everything at a young age and I knew what was wrong with my parents and what was wrong with others. And why could why couldn't they see it? So blinded, but I knew it all uh, as a young person. You may be tempted in the same way. He says, don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. That is a great command about fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord isn't run from God. Fear of the Lord is to be amazed by the wonder and the majesty and the power of God so that you run to him. You don't run away from him. You run to him and you run away from evil. That is the calling. Don't assume that you know it all. The greatest barrier to gaining wisdom is to assume that you already have it. The most foolish person is the person who doesn't think they need any wisdom. Don't assume that you know it. We all need these verses, but if you are young, please listen, because what God is trying to do in his love for you and his faithfulness to you is he's trying to spare you tremendous grief. And he's saying, trust the Lord, believe in him. Don't lean to your own understanding. Even when things don't make sense, put your hope here. Even when life gets confusing, put your hope here. Even when you want to give up, put your hope here. Don't lean into your own understanding because it will lead you to the way of foolishness. Trust the Lord and not yourself. Now that sounds very spiritual, but here's some practical things to to consider when we think about trusting the Lord and not ourselves. Again, number one, recognize that you need wisdom. You're not born with it and you need it. And, And please know this, wisdom is not all around you. Your social media feed is not blowing up with God's wisdom. It's just not. I don't know who you follow, but, but probably, I mean, may, maybe you follow people that are blown up with wisdom, but probably not. You're not going to find wisdom just all around you and your classmates or your coworkers, even your friends. I mean, you may have some wise friends. That's good. But, but the reality is that, that you, they need wisdom just like you do. If you're looking to your peers, you're a younger person, you're looking to your peers, you're looking to people that are in the same need that you are. So unless like all your friends are 20 years older than you, it, it, you, and even those people need wisdom as well, but you need experience, you need people around you who have a, who are a source of experiential wisdom. That is, they've read the scripture, they believe the scripture, they've applied the scripture, and there's some kind of fruit in their life because of that. It's experiential wisdom. It's not someone with a theory. It's not someone with the latest philosophy. It's not someone with a critique of this, that, and the other. It's not someone just sort of at a distance, just sort of evaluating in their brilliance. It's someone who's saying, I need God. And it looks like you know God and have applied God in your life. Help me. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Recognize you need it. Number two, hunt for wisdom. I'm using this word hunt because later in the chapter, it says that wisdom is treasure. So I like to think of it as we are all on a treasure hunt. Wisdom is not common. It is rare. Look at verse 13 in the same chapter we're in. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. 
and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than, uh, I'm sorry, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. He's saying, listen, the world has not changed. uh, Technology has changed, but the nature of the world has not changed. The world is fundamentally made up of, um, of foolish people when it comes to God. There's brilliant people, there's smart people, um, there's smart people that created a new iPhone. There's foolish people that are paying a thousand dollars for it. <laughs> I'll probably get one at some point, but, uh, so I'll join you on the pathway to destruction. But I don't think my car's worth a thousand dollars. I mean, that way, anyway, thousand dollars. Okay. So there's a lot of smart people in our world. There's a lot of technological advance. And by God's common grace, there's a lot of helpful ideas, creative ideas, innovative plans that help humanity. So I, I'm not disregarding any of that and saying that only Christian. I mean, no, there, there are people that don't believe in the Lord that are, that by God's grace or his common grace are accomplishing things that make life better for us all and bring a degree of flourishing to the culture. So I certainly acknowledge that. However, the Bible says that the fool is the person who says in his heart that there is no God. The Bible defines a fool not as this dumb, stupid person, but the person that lives their life as if God doesn't exist, that lives their life as if they will not stand before God and give an account for their lives, that lives their lives as if they're not dependent on God. The Bible calls that person a fool. And so we live in a culture of foolishness, ultimately, where people aren't pointing us to God. And so when we find wisdom in God's word, and when we find wisdom taught to us by someone else, here it says that we are to hold on to that. It is better than the gain from silver. It's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares to it. I mean, if you found a bunch of jewels, you'd be hanging on. This is something you would want to hang on to, something that you would value, something that is precious to you. So he's saying, hunt for wisdom, and when you find it, recognize its value. It's more precious than the other things around you. And if you are going to trust the Lord with all your heart, if you are going to hunt for wisdom, if you're going to find it and hang on to it, then you must be a person committed to the Scripture. Listen, young people, to have wisdom, you must commit at a young age to being a student of God's word for your whole life. It's not a semester. It's not a class. It's not, yeah, I had that in high school. No, it's a life. It's committing yourself to knowing God through his word. That's where wisdom is going to have. You're going to find it. Cultivate a devotion to his word. If you're going to trust in the Lord and lean not on your understanding, you're going to have to know the Lord because your own understanding looks very good. My own under, I'm convinced my own understanding is phenomenal, just not to anybody else, but to me, my own understanding, why doesn't the whole world see it like I do? But I need to take my understanding and I need to compare it to this. I need to have God's word shape and form and correct and teach and train and coach and develop and rebuke and strengthen and encourage my understanding. I will never know the way of understanding apart from the scripture. So you, at, at a young age, commit. 
I, I really want to challenge you. If you're in fourth grade and you're in this room going, why am I in this sermon? How much longer? I get it. I was in fourth grade. Um, but for you to commit your fourth grade heart to saying, if you do nothing else, if you get nothing else out of this, path, this sermon today, but to say, Lord, I want to be a student of your word my whole life. Help me make that happen in my life. If you prayed that prayer in the fourth grade and the Lord helped you know him and follow, man, your future is bright, my friend. It's way better than most of the adults in this room. Your future is way better than almost any adult in this room. If, you, if God grips your heart, gives you new life in Christ, you repent of your sin, you follow him, and you ask him to open you, and you get a hunger for the word, fourth grade, fifth grade, middle school. Man, you, you, you're middle school committed to the scripture. You are way ahead of the game because you accessing God's wisdom. You know God. You know God, the one who created everything. Are you kidding me? That is amazing. And it's not too late. High school, college, senior. If you're a senior, you go, I don't know how much longer I have life. Well, let's, let's live the rest of it following God and knowing his word and leaning not onto our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging him. And here's the advantage to all of us. But young people, here's the advantage. He will make your path straight. That's what he says. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. It doesn't mean that your path will be smooth and you'll never have any problems. You will have problems, but it means that you won't spend your life going over this direction for a while and then over this direction for a while and over this direction for a while, spending your life chasing all kinds of nonsense when you could be following the Lord and living for his purpose. The straight path is it saves you from so much waste so that you don't get to the end of your life with regrets He warns us about that in chapter five. He's still telling his son, listen to his wisdom. And in this passage, which we taught a couple weeks ago, he's saying, don't go after the the forbidden woman. But he says, if you go down that road, this is what he says in 510. You don't want to get to the place where at the end of your life, verse 11, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. That means correction. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Why is the dad pleading this way? So that he'll just be a religious kid? No, he's pleading because he's saying, I'm looking way down the road when I'm gone. And I don't want you to be 75, 80 years old, 90 if the Lord let you live that long and get to the end of your road and say, I was a fool. Why didn't I listen to anyone? I'm in utter despair at the end of my life. And worse than that, worse than a wasted life, there's something worse than a wasted life. That's heading into eternity without knowing God and being separated from God for eternity because you didn't trust Jesus, believe in him, receive him as savior, repent of your sin and follow him. That's why this dad is pleading. We all need to ask God to give us an appetite for his word so that we will trust him and not our own understanding. And for those of us who are older, this is for us too. Everybody's got to stop being spoon-fed at some point. It's cute. I mentioned my one-year-old grandson. It's cute when he's in the high chair and food's everywhere and it's all over him and we're feeding him. He doesn't really know how to feed himself. You know, he's not kind of learning. That's cute. If he's doing that at my age, it's not cute. And then I may get to an age where that happens again. But right now, <laughs> probably will for me at some point. But, but that's, that's not cute. 
Why? Because I should at my age, if, if I'm physically and mentally able, if I'm physically and mentally able, by my age, I should be able to feed myself. And so we want to be a self-feeder so that we're learning to trust the Lord with all of our heart. Hunt for wisdom from God's word. Hunt for wisdom, young people, from people who have wisdom like your parents. Listen to their wisdom. That's a big theme in this whole book. Let me ask you, if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, how do you listen? What kind of listener are you to your parents? It could be a casual listener. Whatever. Whatever. It's kind of passively listen. Their words aren't very weighty. Well, that's one point of view. I suppose that's your opinion. Sort of casually, yeah, you kind of have your view, I have mine. You have your way, I have mine. The skeptical listener. Skeptical listeners like this, ah, my parents don't get me. They don't understand me. They don't understand my problems. By the way, I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. They probably don't. They probably don't. Most of us as parents are better talkers than listeners. We're better at telling you what to do than understanding your heart. And that's on us. Most of us have, have been weak in that area. So you, you may be right on that one. They may not fully understand you, but they're pointing to the one who does. And they're calling you to follow him. And hopefully we'll humble ourselves as parents and, and be better at that. But we are called to help. Your parents are called to help you, lead you, and point you to Christ in all their weakness. They're called to do that. And they may not understand everything that you're experiencing. No one does. But God alone and they're pointing you to him. Or are you an active listener, casual listener, skeptical listener, an active listener? That is, you are pursuing wisdom. You are going to your parents and asking what they think. You are drawing in their counsel into your life. That's part of trusting the Lord and leaning not on your own understanding. You're seeking to be informed and taught by them. This goes for us who are older in the room as well. I mean, I ask you the same question. Most of us get to a certain stage in life where we stop asking questions. So if you're older, are you pursuing wise counsel? Are you a learner? Are you humbling yourself and asking questions? Are you finding biblically wise people who are following the pathway of wisdom and asking them questions about the decisions you face? We are blessed. We're in a church with a lot of people who have experiential wisdom from the scripture. There's a lot of folks, most issues. You could tell me an issue. And I could point you to numbers of people, not just one, probably numbers of people who've walked through that. Probably you, you could have a unique situation, but, but they'd know the word and could point you to God in the midst of it. So are you, let me ask myself and you as an adult, are you hunting for wisdom and are you valuing it as jewels? Are you looking, are you hunting for wisdom? Listen, there's a difference in hunting for wisdom and shopping for counsel. Shopping for counsel is I go around and find someone who affirms my own understanding and I don't trust the Lord. I trust my own understanding, but now I got someone on my team who's affirming my understanding. That's shopping for counsel. I'm going to keep finding someone until they agree with me. And if I can't, I can for sure find someone on the internet that agrees with me. <laughs> Top in the, type in the topic. After, after a while, you'll find someone who holds your same theories. And you could, hey, we're together. I found someone who gets me and understands me. And they see they're right. 
Hunting for wisdom is not shopping for counsel. Hunting for wisdom is saying, what does God's word say about this? And how can I adapt and shape my thinking to God's word, not vice versa? Hunting for wisdom is a posture of humility. It's intellectual humility. It's coming as, as a learner. It's posturing as I need God. Shopping for counsel is I've got this figured out. I'm looking for someone to endorse it. There's a difference. If you are in our church, Rob gave two wisdom announcements today. I don't know if you caught them. But if the book of Proverbs is about wisdom, Rob just, well, he gave one. I don't think the other one was in the announcement, so I'm going to make it. Friday night, the young adults, Tim, is it this Friday night? Am I making the right announcement? Who can tell me? Friday night's the young adults meeting? Yes. Okay. Friday night, the young adults are meeting. You know what they're meeting on? They've got, the young adults have a panel of old adults. Okay. This is brilliant. They're getting old adults, older adults, because I'm on that panel, so they're not real old. But there's some adults on a panel <laughs> who are youthful at heart. And this is the topic for the night. How do you make decisions? So young people facing education, facing career, facing should I get married? Should we have children? Where should I live? What are they going to do on a Friday night? There's nothing on Netflix if you're a young adult. There's nothing as valuable as sitting and listening to, I'm not saying I'm wise, but but pooled wisdom from the panel. There's pooled experience. There's mistakes. There's, I wouldn't do it that way again. There's, here's what the scripture says, to sit and listen and just ask questions in a panel. What would you do about this? How do you make this decision? Where have you made decisions you regret? What have you learned from your decisions? How do you look at the scripture in making a decision? And that is, that is, that's young people who come to that will show tremendous wisdom. Wednesday night, if you're a parent with younger children, I don't know, my kids are younger, I'm not that experienced. Great. Chris and Laura Vogelsang are, and they'll be teaching Wednesday night uh, about chaos. You say, well, I'm already an expert at household chaos. Well, they're going to tell you how to bring Christ into the chaos. So there's two, this week, two opportunities. I'm younger, I'm inexperienced, I want wisdom. Pooh, it's being served up. Isn't that beautiful? Last, here's the last thing and we're done. Believe God's wisdom is best. Believe God's wisdom is best. A lot of young people don't follow their parents' teaching, don't follow the church's teaching, don't follow the Bible's teaching because they don't really believe it's best. They don't really believe that God is for them. You perhaps view God as someone who's limiting your freedom. But the Bible teaches is God is the only one who will give you freedom. You're already enslaved. You're already wrapped up. And the own, you're wrapped up to yourself in your own understanding. And the only freedom that you can get is when God brings freedom to your life through Christ. He is not trying to ruin your life. When it says, when it says fear the Lord and run from, turn from away from evil, he's offering you rescue. He's not opposed to you. He's offering you life the way it was intended to be lived. He's offering you straight paths so that you don't end your life with regret and grief and say, how foolish was I? Or end your eternity, don't end, live your eternity with regret under his judgment. He is offering you his love and his faithfulness. He is not coming down to ruin your life. He is giving you life. That's why Jesus rose from the dead to defeat death, to defeat sin, and to give life to those who are joined to him. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's not restricting you from stuff that you need to have a real life 
He gave his son so that he will give you everything that you need to have the life that he designed for you. So don't despise his wisdom. He is loving. If you could see him as a Christian in Christ, if you could see him, you would run to him. As an unbeliever, if you could see his holiness in your sin, you'd run from him by nature, but run to Christ and for forgiveness and you'll be embraced. He is wisdom. He is the way. Run to him. Listen to him. Follow him. Trust him. Do not think you have it all figured out. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be a fool like many of us in this room who are older. We have long patches of foolishness in our lives. Don't be like us who did that. Run to him and he will make your path straight and you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse four, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Verse two, that's the good life. Knowing God, regardless of your circumstances, may not be the easy life, but it's the good life, the life he designed. And it's found in wisdom, Jesus Christ, our wisdom. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.